We are continuing our series on the Psalms, and today's psalm actually comes from Psalm 145. And you can go ahead and turn in your books to Psalm 145. And and, and Psalm 145 actually kind of reminds me of a couple of things. Um, Number one, uh, it it, it reminds me of... uh, helping us reconnect with God. In fact, uh, we, we call this reviving our praise because it's a psalm of praise. And so we want to revive that praise, but sometimes we don't know what that's like. And, and currently in our lives, what we are doing is we are worshiping from home. We are working from home and, and we are dependent on something we don't think about very often, but probably more so lately than we have in the past. And that's our Wi-Fi signal. That's our internet. It's, it's that We depend on it, and when it's working well, we don't pay too much attention to it. We just know that our devices work, our connection works. It's very important to us. But when Wi-Fi gets sluggish or Wi-Fi disconnects and doesn't work, we have a problem. I mean, how else are we going to be able to work? We are going to be able to watch what we want to watch. We're going to be able to read the newspaper because so many of us read it online. Uh, Learn new recipes even right now. Watching animal videos. And and my personal favorite is watching prank calls. Um, How are you going to be able to do this if if the Wi-Fi cuts out? Now, if you don't know anything about Wi-Fi, they have probably placed a modem somewhere in your residence. And this modem carries the signal around the house. It pushes it out. And normally it has white lights on it. There's usually one that looks like the world and one looks like the signal that goes out. But whenever your Wi-Fi goes out, some of those lights go out or they turn red. Now, At this state, when it has gone out, you kind of panic. You're not sure what to do. You walk over to the modem, and if you're not used to dealing with that, you might look at it and think, oh, that white light turned red. Maybe, maybe I need to fix it. I need to figure out what's wrong with it. And if you don't know anything about it, you would make the wrong assumption that you would think, oh, that light's a different color. Maybe it needs a new bulb in it. That will not fix your Wi-Fi. That is the wrong answer to the wrong solution, to the right problem though. And so if you know a little bit more about it, then you know that, and you've been through this before, you know that maybe it needs to reset. It needs to recalibrate, it needs to reconnect, and you'll unplug it. And there's a magic number, I don't know what it is, it's between 30 seconds and two minutes, that you unplug it, then you plug it back in. And then you have to wait patiently. You wait patiently, so you go off and you do your dishes, or you go off and you clean your bathroom, whatever you do. You come back, you check your device, and it might upload. It might reconnect, and everything works perfectly. But you needed to know a little bit about that device. You needed to focus on that device. You needed to unconnect it and connect it back. Now, if your Wi-Fi, if that doesn't work, and it goes really bad, then you might have to go beyond your experience, beyond your expertise. You might have to look to someone that actually has authority. And so you will call the company that set that up and they will come out. They'll send the servicemen out after they make sure that you tried everything that you tried. And then they'll come out and they might, because they know that device, they might determine that you need to replace that device. And they're the only ones that can replace that device. They recognize that what you are using it for 
is not, it is not adequate to help you out. So you need to upgrade or you need to get a new device. It needs to be transformed into something else so that you will have life and Wi-Fi in your house. So you can connect to the rest of the world. So you can understand what's going on. So you can get back to your daily life. I think that's what Psalm 145 is. It starts out with this. It helps us revive our life. It helps us revive our praise. And that's what it's about. Because some of us need to revive our praise. Our dependency on God right now is more about what we need versus who he is. And we've lost focus of that. Maybe we are too concerned with what's going on and what decisions we need to make. I know for parents right now, you are very concerned about what to do about your children. You're wondering, where do we send them? When do we send them? How do we send them? What are the rules of when we do send them, wherever we send them, to school or not to school, online or at home or at school? And so that is what I believe Psalms 145 helps us to figure that out, to refocus, to unplug it and plug it back in, to reconnect. You see, uh, Psalm 145, while you're turning there, is one of the last six psalms in the entire book of Psalms. Now, that's an odd number, but it's significant because the last six psalms, I believe, are the conclusion of the entire book of Psalms. Uh, It is titled a psalm of praise. It's actually in the words. This is a psalm of praise from David to us. Meaning that it is solely about God, his character, and the book closes with this psalm. And you have to ask, why does the book close with this psalm? And, and, And it closes with this psalm. It doesn't have these psalms of praise scattered throughout the book of Psalms. It doesn't have this psalm of praise at the beginning and some in the middle and some at the end. No, they are all at the end. These psalms are at the end of a life of worship where there is struggle, there is hurt, there is pain. There are words in psalms that cry out and say, why God, are you listening God? Can you hear me God? I will wait patiently for you God. And at the end you have psalms like this where it seems like nothing is wrong. In fact, many will say that this is a static psalm. That means it is unchanging. What is true at the beginning is true in the middle and true at the end. There's no conquering, conquest. There's no fight. There's no struggle. It's all about God. It's all about him. And it models our life of maturity with him. The longer we live with Christ, when we get to the end of our lives, as we grow in him, it's really all about God. It's really all about him. And this psalm, the way the book of Psalm ends, reflects that. Personally, I don't like the word static. I, I think it's lifeless. Where I think this psalm is filled with life. Um, I like words that describe the potential of this psalm, the, the, uh, the vibrance of this psalm. So I like it's unconquerable. What's, it, it, there is no opposition. It's unwavering. It's the same at the beginning as it is the end. And I think we're gonna learn from that today and we're gonna see how God wants us to unplug and plug back in so we can do what we should do at the very beginning, which is connect to him, to look to him and only him and put our focus on him. And so I think there are two main parts of this psalm that you need to identify. Number one, the first 10 verses I believe is the worship of God. I believe it's the worship of God. And then the second part is the reign of God. Looking at his throne. So so what you have is you have two imageries, I think. 
I think the first part looks like his temple. And the second part looks like his reign, his kingdom, his throne room. And so each of those parts have three sections in them. So we're going to look at the six steps we need to take to revive our praise in God. And so we will start with the first few verses, which I believe is step one. Praise the Lord. The first step is audibly, out loud, praise the Lord. Verse one, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness, no one can fathom. You probably picked up a key word in there. The word is praise, which is why this section, step one, is to praise the Lord. Um, what, what I found, though, is that some people struggle with praising the Lord. Their communication with God isn't so much about who he is and their adoration for him and what he's done, but it seems to be more about us and what we need. And when we unplug and plug back in, the first step we need to do is just praise the Lord, even if you don't feel like it. But oftentimes, our relationship with God gets so muddied that we can't connect with him outside of what we're struggling with. We, can't, we don't have the discipline. We don't know how to set that aside and just say, I know that's what's going on in my life, but I'm just going to be obedient right now and focus on you and only you, God. And even though we can't do that, the truth is, is that some of us like the fact that we have that in our life. It helps remind us of, of, of our humanity and how we are not God. We would rather hold on to that peace because that's how we relate to God. Because we know only when we recognize how he heals that thing, it will help us. And we aren't willing to let that go and move on. Some of you don't know what to do in your life if you didn't have that hurt and that pain. It would be hard for you to go to Jesus like many did in the New Testament and they went to him and Jesus healed them and then he would say, sin no more as they left. And those words, those words right there would be the hardest words you would have to hear. Sin no more. Is it tough for you to, to, to put down yourself set it aside and just focus on the Lord right now? Is it difficult for you to actually praise him? Are the words hard to come by? Because they're true. God is good. We need to praise him. In verse three, it ends with this interesting line. It says, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. That means God's greatness is beyond human comprehension. The praise that he deserves and the way we adore him and we turn to him, it's beyond what we can even communicate and say to him. Uh, there are plenty of places in scripture that explain how deep, how wide, how great, how beyond God is from our understanding. But one of the more interesting ones is in the middle of the book of Micah. In the middle of the book of Micah, it describes in chapter 4 
what it's like in the end when Jesus is sitting on the temple mount. And it's in his kingdom. There's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no sickness. And it says this in Micah 4 verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And then listen to what he says. He says, they will say, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. This isn't now. This is when Jesus is present on earth. This is in the thousand year millennial reign or potentially the future of all time forever and ever. And we are still learning day after day from him because the depth of his understanding, what he teaches us, is beyond our recognition. It's beyond our understanding. There is so much to God that's unfathomable to us that eternity is not long enough to learn everything there is about him and what he's done. We don't see God as this vast, amazing, beyond comprehension being that we need to turn to and we need to praise. But that's the one he's commanded you to praise. We're often too smart for God ourselves, which in the end makes us foolish. So, step number one to reviving your praise, praise him. Praise him. Even when it's tough to say the words even when you're not even sure you believe it. Praise him. Give him the praise. Because Jesus says, if you seek me, you will find me. Step two. Remember God's work. It's about God's work. Verse four. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Step two is remembering God's work. Like part of giving him praise is remembering what he's done. This was common in the Old Testament. This is actually what was commanded in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus even and and ongoing throughout Scripture when he was correcting Israel, falling away, is to remember what the Lord has done. Remember what he's done. But, But you have to remember what God has done in the past, what he's doing currently in your life. And remember what he will do in the future because all of it's true, all of it will be fulfilled. So in the past, what has he done in your life? And the Psalms regularly would go back and it would talk about the way that Israel or the Hebrews were saved from slavery, led through the wilderness, given the promised land. They would have to remember that. They would remember his law and what God had given them. They would remember those things. I believe Old Testament remembering is New Testament faith. And I believe a practice of faithfulness is to remember what God has done. And some of you have forgotten what God has done in your life. I was talking to someone the other day where they were talking about the miracle that happened in their life. Where they fell from a 20-foot tree. 
There was no, and, and before they hit this rocky creek below them that was about an inch deep, um, they felt themselves bounce down and come up, bounce down and come up. And he looked behind him as he was standing there, and there was a vine attached to the back of his pants. But when he looked up, it wasn't attached to the tree. It was attached to the bank over here. It didn't make any sense to him. And he considers it a miracle in his life, and I believe him. I'm not sure he's told that story very often. But it's remembering what God has done helps strengthen his faith. And, and we need to remember what God's done in our lives. I remember what God's done in my life. I remember him selling my house in 2008 without me putting a for sale sign or anything. Someone just asked, and I needed to get rid of that house so we could move to DTS. Brooke and I just got married. I remember losing the job and moving to a city that is actually one of the best cities for one of my sons to get education because he has autism. There are so many things God has done in your life and he currently does in your life. Think of the way he blesses you without you even knowing it. And then you gotta remember what he promises to do in the future because that's true too. That's true too. His deeds are wonderful, his deeds are great, but there is a danger in forgetting and judges the Hebrews, the Israel people, forgot about God often and they would fall. In Judges 3, 7, it says, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served Baals and Asherahs. And that's incredibly important not to forget what the Lord has done. Step two, remember what God's done. Step one, was to praise him audibly. That brings us to step three. Believe God is good. Believe he is good. Verse eight. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. Step three is believe in God's character, that he is good. One of the biggest accusations against God and believing in Jesus Christ is the fact that many don't think he is actually good. Many think he allowed evil in the world, so therefore he must be bad. But the truth is, he's not the one that caused evil to come into this world. The first line there in verse eight is actually from Exodus 34, six. It's one of the most quoted passages in all of scripture. In fact, it's quoted six times in the Old Testament. In Nehemiah, twice in Psalms, or three times in Psalms, once in Joel and once in Jonah. And, and it states that the Lord is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. And that verse in and of itself has incredible depth. The graciousness is giving us what we did not even know that we needed. The Lord is gracious and provides. He's compassionate. That's an ongoing care for his people. The ones that he calls his own. The ones that believe in him. And he's slow to anger. He's willing to, to wait on his wrath so that you can grow to know him. But he's rich in love and depth and you will experience that for all eternity. You know, 
the, the truth is, is that the Lord's love is very important. And we wouldn't understand love without knowing our God. Because God is love. We recognize a counterfeit love and a counterfeit kindness and other things that might give us immediate satisfaction, but it never lasts. God promises his love lasts and lasts and lasts and lasts for all eternity. So step three to reviving your praise is recognizing and believing God is good. And that reflects the temple worship. That reflects what goes on in the temple. To, to audibly praise him, to remember what he's done, and to recognize his acceptance and his love for us. And those are the first three steps, but there's three more steps. And this takes the focus off of Jesus the priest and our God in the temple, but this takes the focus on Jesus is our king. And it's his reign. This is God's reign. And the idea is that this 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 temple was very close to the throne room of where God is. And in fact, in Revelation, you see this very clearly, um, that, that the interplay between what's happening in Revelation is that you see it go from the temple to the throne room of God in these two different locations. You know, this is, if, if focusing on his praise is like resetting our modem so that we have uh, Wi-Fi, this section is more like putting in the correct password, making sure that we are connected the right way. You see, because uh, even when you get it reset, you'll need to reconnect. And sometimes it will ask you for your username and password. And if you know where to look on the modem, it will have like, I think it's about 465 characters there where you have to type in to make sure you are connected. And it's, it's, it's very different. You know, there's capitals, there's uh, lower cases, there's numbers mixed in together, and you have to put it in the precise order the way it wants. You actually cannot go into that uh, password and connect to that Wi-Fi without doing it the way that it asks you to do it. Uh, you can't say, no, I don't like the capital letter B. I'm going to put the lower letter, lowercase letter B. It will not connect. You cannot say, I do not like zeros. I will skip zeros. If they're in my password, you will not connect. You will not experience the fullness of what God has for you. You will not experience the fullness of what that modem has for you if you do not submit to what the rules that are laid out. And that's what the kingdom is. That's what having Jesus as your king is. And so right now, we are going to look at step number four, is that we need to long for the kingdom to come. We long and wait for God's kingdom. Verse 11, they tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. You see, Jesus, our God, is our king. He currently is our king. He always has been the king. One of the more interesting passages in scripture is that when Israel wanted a king in 1 Samuel 8, God saw it as a recognition that they denied him as king and wanted an earthly king. Prior to that, God had sent judges on his behalf because he had laid out the rules. Because a kingdom has three different things. Number one, it has a king. Number two, it has subjects. And number three, it has these rules to live by, to reflect what he wants and what he desires. 
And so in 1 Samuel 8, he said to Samuel, do everything the people request you. Give them the king. For it's not you that they have rejected, but it's me they've rejected, their king. And what God did at that time is he went from being the king, since they wanted an earthly king, he took away the earthly judges and he became the judge over Israel at that time. And he sent prophet after prophet to warn them. You see, God is our king and recognizing Jesus as our king is what we need to do. But many of us don't like his rules. In fact, I heard it said recently, and I agree with this, is that we love Jesus as the Savior. We love Jesus as the Savior. We will sing of Jesus as the Savior. But when it comes to Jesus being our king, sometimes we don't like everything that he asks us to do. It's much like in, in, in your house. Um, you see, I have a house, and I have four little children that live in the house that my wife and I are purchasing, and we, we own that house. We are, we are currently the people that are residents of that house, and there are bedrooms in there that we allow our children to sleep in our house, and there are rules that we give our children uh, about cleaning their room regularly. And if our kids decide not to clean their room, they have broken our rules, Yes, it is what we have given them. It's a blessing for them. But there is a way that we want them to live within those walls. Within those rooms. And if they break those, then we have to correct them. And that's what Jesus is for us. He's given us this great blessing. He's given us this life. He's given this voice to declare who he is. But if we do not follow him, if we say, no, I don't like to do that, God. I don't want to give up those things in my life, uh, but I'll still follow you. That's not submitting to him as a king. That's trying to negotiate a compromise. And we are not on the same footing. See, the emphasis in this section is on him ruling. And many of us struggle with him ruling because in his kingdom, we have to work. Following him, he has called us to work. In eternity, we will actually have jobs. In the thousand-year reign, we will have work. And many of you don't understand why that's a blessing because you haven't had satisfactory and good work. You haven't had purposeful work. But there are some people on this earth that have had purpose-filled work that they feel invigorated by, that it revives their faith in God, that it causes them to turn to him and give him thanks. And we have to trust them. Just like when we know that God is our father and many of us haven't had good fathers. We have to trust those that have good fathers to know that that is a part of what he desires. It's the same thing with this work that he's commanded us to do. Jesus even said to his disciples, they didn't know what he was asking when they asked for a place in the kingdom. Because he said, you, you don't understand. The first will be last and the last will be first. Meaning that part of what the king does is he serves. And those in authority will serve. It's not a place for retirement. It's a place for purpose-filled life without any hindrance. And none of us can fathom it, but we can trust it. And we can trust it because of step number five, verse 13. Step number five is trust God's promises. God's faithful. Trust God's promises. Verse 13b says this, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Now, some of you might not have this line in your Bible. 
That's because this is an acrostic psalm, meaning that the first letter of every line starts with a different letter of the alphabet in order. And the noon was left off in many of the manuscripts, but this is the one that they found in one of the Qumran manuscripts, and so I believe it's here. Trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who bow down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. There's a progression here. Uh, it's, it's trustworthy, promises, faithful, upholding, uplifting, looking on to you, provision, satisfying our desires. Uh, it, 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 it's a caring for you. The interesting thing about God and what we don't always recognize is that when God says something, when he makes a promise, he is faithful to keep that promise. It will be done. It will be done. And so it's not the empty promises that we've experienced all through life. These are faithful promises. And when God says he's going to uphold you, he's going to uphold you. When God says he's going to bring life, life happens. We saw that in Genesis 1. Jesus' words demonstrated authority. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they couldn't believe this man the way he taught because he spoke as one that had authority. In Mark 2, Jesus forgave sins. And many couldn't believe he said that he forgave sins because only God could do that. And God's words offer eternity, a promise of eternity, because he is faithful to keep his word. The promise to you is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he raised from the dead, you will be saved. Now notice that. Uh, He is saying that raised from the dead is the Savior and and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord is the King. It's a recognition of that. One of the the problems with today's life is that you've heard the phrase, and one of the phrases I really struggle with is people saying, this is my truth or sharing my truth. I, I, I don't understand that because it redefines what truth is. And what they actually are saying is they are saying that uh, it, they're saying this is my desire or this is my belief. And they're, they're redefining what truth is because whether or not you believe it or not, truth is truth. And what Jesus promised, what God promised you is true. Whether you believe it or not. He's just saying because he's faithful to keep those promises, you should believe it. That's step number five. And our last step is step number six. Know that God is with you. Because he keeps his promises and because he is a good king, think about this. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. What does this say? This is unbelievable what it says. It says that you have the king's attention. He is near all who call on him. This is one of the promises he says. You know, there are many celebrities I read about a while back that got pulled over by police officers for speeding or for being intoxicated while driving. And when the officer comes up to them, they'll say something like, do you know who I am? 
as if that's a place of authority, as if they're connected to something that will give them authority. That doesn't mean much. That doesn't mean much at all. In fact, many of them end up getting arrested and you see mugshots and these sort of things. But I experienced something when I was in high school. I turned 15 years old and in Mississippi at that time, you got your license at 15 years old. I lived in a small town, about 2,000 people. And after youth group one night, my rebellious self decided I was gonna drive my friend Kyle home. He was 14 years old. He wasn't 15 yet. He could not drive. So we got my 1984 Grand Prix limited edition. It had all the bells and whistles, which meant it had power locks and power windows. And that was pretty much it. And in the car at that time, it wasn't automatic headlights would turn on. You might not know that that existed. But there was a time where there was a little knob there. You pulled it out once and your parking lights came on. You pulled it out twice and your headlights came on. So whenever you stopped somewhere, you would have to push it in because it wouldn't turn off all the way and you would run out your battery. So when I was taking Kyle home, I had permission. My dad said, yes, it is your first week of driving. Please drive him home and drive back safely. I said, this is great. This is amazing. And I said, you know what we should do? We should go to the gas station and go get something to eat. Kyle picked out a Coke and a bag of chips. I picked out a Powerade because I was healthy and a sack of gummy worms. And we sat in the car and I forgot to pull out the light for the headlights. The lights were on, on this canopy. It was downtown, so there were street lights, so you could see pretty clearly. So I didn't recognize that those lights needed to be on. And as I was driving home, I got pulled over. And I was given a ticket. I was so worried about this. That I went to Kyle's house. His dad came out and said, what took y'all so long? And we said, well, we got pulled over and Kevin got a ticket for having his lights off. And Kyle's dad, who plays golf with the mayor in town, took the ticket and he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it because I knew someone that mattered. I don't know what happened to that ticket. I don't wanna ask what happened to that ticket. I just know I didn't have to deal with that ticket ever again. You see, that's the one that you have the ear of, the one that actually can do something about it. But you have to trust him with your problems. You have to trust him with what you bring him. But you also live a life knowing every moment of life, he is with you. He is with you. So give God praise. Give him the praise he deserves. That's step one. Even when you don't feel like it. Step two, remember what God's done in your life and what he's gonna do. Step three, Know that he is good. Step four, recognize him as the king of your life. Step five, trust God's promises because he's faithful. And step six, know that he is with you regardless of what goes on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your love, your peace, your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your self-control in our lives. And Lord, help us to give you the praise you deserve in all areas that you deserve it. And help us to praise you now as we come together at this table, as we take the Lord's Supper. It's by your Son's name we pray. Amen.